Acts chapter 13. We are continuing. I'm the last of the guest uh, presenters, five pastors over the summer. And uh, yeah, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, it's the ESV. We're going to go through that this morning. Um, and the last week until Brian comes back, you mentioned that. We've been going through the book of Acts, and it's been a blessing. With uh, very, very thankful for guys like Eric Maldonado, Nick Billich, Luke Lamas, uh, Pastor Gunther. And uh, the opportunity for me to share this morning is a, is a privilege. It's awesome. It's amazing to actually prepare for messages like this and, and to realize how much effort. And uh, for Brian to go through the Word with us and teach us faithfully as he does, and doing it over two decades is you just get the impact of what that really means, the, the, the amount of study you put in, the amount of time and energy, not just teaching, pastoring is not just about teaching, but in general it just reminds me personally of, of just my appreciation from my brother Brian. So we're excited to hear from him starting next week when we go to two services. For now, we're in Acts 13, starting in verse 4. Um, Luke introduced the chapter, let's start at verse 1 just by reasoning or review, if you weren't here last week, it says... And this records the first send-off of the early church. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is the, the launching point in the scriptures of the book of Acts, recording the first church of the first missionary journey, as it were. There are four of them recorded, and this is the first one. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 12, and this records the first stop on the first missionary journey. So let's read together. Verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that's John Mark, the writer of the gospel, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So you have this gentleman, this false prophet, Bar-Jesus. He's there, and he's with, he has a friendship, he has audience with the proconsul. We'll talk about what that means in a second. This gentleman named Sergius Paulus. All you need to know right now is that he's a man of intelligence, as the scripture says, but he's also a man of prominence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he has a desire to hear from the word. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, that's Bar Jesus they're talking about there, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked? the straight paths of the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, 
And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God, we want to be astonished by the teaching of you today. We want to be astonished. We want to see your word clearly. We want to understand your purpose of inspiring the Luke, or Luke, the writer of this book. We want to see your purposes behind that. We want to know your heart, God, for us. We want to know something of, uh, of the enemy as well, who is our adversary. But we want to know it in proper context, Lord, to the truth of God, that you reign today. This morning you have gathered us individually and as a group, as a community, as a family of faith, and those who would visit this family of faith, Lord, you brought us together for a reason, and that is because you want us to be amazed at the Word of God. Because the Word of God, Lord, we know, we acknowledge, we say right now, thank you for it, because it allows us to see you. The one who reigns, the one who loves fiercely. Fierce is what we sing. Fiercely, Lord, you love us fiercely, and you want us to see yourself so that we might be changed people, that we might become more whole, more holy, more set apart. So speak through me this morning so that we can understand together your purposes in this word of which we gather to hear. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you're here by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So a powerful passage right here. Um, things are happening, obviously, uh, miraculously. It's continuing in the church. Um, It's been a miraculous journey so far, the beginnings of the Christian church. Our brothers and sisters, all of us trace back to these events. Think about it, the the church and its origins, of which we read in this very book, about 2,000 years old. We can trace our family history, if you will, back to these events, back to the book of Acts, back to seeing guys like Saul and Barnabas on their first journey to bring the gospel. And we're seeing a transition here, as Luke said last time, that we're seeing a transition between going to the synagogues, which it says here, their first uh, journey took them to, and let's put the, uh, the map up if we will. Their first journey took them to the Jews, to the synagogues. Now, it's a little small, maybe even from the back, but you can see Syria to the right of this map. Up there at the top is where Antioch is, and Seleucia is right there at the coast uh, to the west. They hop on a boat, And they say, okay, we've been set out by the Lord. The Lord has ordained that we should be called to minister. What do we do now? And it's interesting to me to think that God didn't say, um, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas and send them off to Cyprus. He just said, set them apart for the work which I called them. And then they decide, they're left open to where do we go? We're called, we're sent by the Holy Spirit and by the church there in Antioch. Where do we go? And they go to Barnabas's home island. Home island, I'll say. Um, you can see they journey to Salamis, which is on the east side of the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. They journey, it says in the passage we just read, they journey all across and throughout the whole island, all the way to Paphos, which is down, you can see, in the south end, and in a, in a center of leadership there uh, per the Romans. They had an outpost there. They controlled that island. We'll look, about, look at that a little bit in a, in a second. And then they go from there, after they finish their ministry on Cyprus, they go up to the mainland again and then end up in Pisidia. So I just wanted to kind of 
look at this whole first missionary journey as a whole. And the first part of it is you have in Antioch, in Syria, the Holy Spirit sets Saul and Barnabas apart to be missionaries. And John Mark goes with them as their helper. John Mark being uh, Barnabas' nephew. Isn't that interesting? Um, He actually benefited from some really big dudes in the faith. Barnabas, uh, Peter, of course. Most of Mark's gospel we know come from eyewitness accounts of Peter. He was there in partnership with him. And they go, they get sent there, they get called out there, and then they sail from Seleucia to Salamis and on to Paphos and Cyprus. This is the passage we're looking at this morning. And then it goes on to describe when they go up north, John Mark ends up leaving the group. And that becomes, as many of you know in the book of Acts later on, a, a very big controversy between Barnabas and Paul. John Mark leaving them in, in a sense of deserting them uh, later on. And eventually they end back up, or back to, remember the, the map up there? Uh, back to Jerusalem, and that's where you end up in Acts 15. So I just kind of want to give you an idea where we're at in the book of Acts. What's happening? So from 13 to 15, we're looking at the first missionary journey. First part of the first missionary journey is specifically what we have. So let's look at the environment of the island of Cyprus itself. And that city that it says they ended up in, Paphos, where this takes place. First of all, Barnabas, as we said, was from Cyprus. So you can imagine, as they get called out by the Holy Spirit saying, I want you guys to go minister. They don't have complete or specific direction on where. Where do they go? I imagine Barnabas, I can just kind of put myself in that scene of where would I go? I'd go to Yucaipa, California. No, probably not. I'm from there, but I wouldn't want to go back. No, I'm just kidding. Barnabas goes to the people he probably cares about the most. Family, people that he's left from that island. Uh, Think about who you would go to. The Lord has sent you off. Where would you go to? The people that you care about most. Why? Because you have the best message to give the people. And if you're giving the map on where to go, don't you want to go where you care most about? So it makes sense that they would take their I guess Barnabas is cues from his human kind of heart on who he loves and go there because he's not there and he wants the people that he cares about most to know the best news he can possibly give. Is, and, and as we pray as believers, uh, we want just not the people that we know to become those heart-motivated messages to them. We want the people in our communities to become those people that we care most about. We want the people that live next door to us be the people we care most about. We want the people that are enemies to be the people we most care about to give the best news we can give to them. That's, that's Jesus at work in our hearts is he transforms us to not caring about those who are out there, wherever they are, whether it be your hometown or not, or people you've never met or people around the globe that you'd never heard of before. And God produces in you a heart to say, I love them, even those who would persecute me, even those who would hurt me, even those who have hurt me in the past. That's the gospel. That's kind of the crazy, radical part of faith living. And uh, right here, I would just say, do you have that growing inside of you, inside of your heart, a passion to spread and to give the best message you could give is that God loves the sinner. God has not abandoned the sinner. God has great plans for the sinner to be forgiven of their sin through the death and finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that message, as it wells up in us, 
becomes something that cannot be contained and left there for ourselves to feast on. It becomes, by definition, something that you want everyone to know about. And it really starts with your family. I remember when I became a Christian in college, uh, my brother, some of you know, he's 12 years older than me. He was very, very cynical um, to my faith. He was, he, he was so much older than me. Uh, he had lived away from home. And uh, I feel like, in many ways, I just seemed like a spoiled kid to him. Well, then, when I came to faith and understood Jesus, having all been raised in the Catholic Church, our family, uh, he knew about God, but he didn't know God. Same for me, but then I got saved, and I heard about this love of Jesus and started reading the scriptures myself, these stories that I heard raised, you know, being raised as a, as a kid, and starting to make sense to me, and I'm getting pumped about Jesus, and I go home, and he's starting to ridicule me and, uh, and point out different believers that had fallen, and there was a time in the late 80s when that was happening. For, for people that were well-known a lot, and he would stick the newspaper in my face and say, what's this? How can this be true? What are all these people doing in the name of Christ? And I remember just taking that, and I, was, I had such a burning that my brother would come to know Jesus. And, uh, and, and so much so, the, the beauty of it is in taking the gospel, I kidded about Yukaipa, but I really care about it. Anybody know where Yukaipa is? Because you've been there on vacation? Okay. Um, I love my hometown. Um, but I remember, I remember saying, I said, brother, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about them. I don't know why they did the stuff they did. But I know that Jesus still reigns, and he wants them not to do that stuff. And, and by his grace, they have hope that they have another tomorrow to not make the same stuff that they're doing now. And a lot of people say, hey, there's, I'm not going to church. There's too many hypocrites there. Everybody's heard that, right? Join the crowd. You're talking to one right now. I am a big hypocrite. Things that I say that we shouldn't do, I like to do. You know, that kind of thing. Look at yourself. You don't have to look very far to find somebody who doesn't do what they're supposed to do. But that's okay. Why? Because even when I am hypocritical, God has grace and mercy upon my life. Praise the Lord. Everybody's going to have that testimony. Who's going to have hope in it? Just those who turn to the one who forgives their sin. So my brother ends up coming to faith. When I, when I got engaged to my wife, Wendy, who's here, wave your hand, beautiful. All right, there she is. I love her because she said yes. Um, but I remember when we, when we got engaged, it was a four and a half month engagement, yeah? I remember asking my brother, literally, this is the honest truth. I remember asking my brother, he had come to faith, and I still didn't have a real close relationship with him to the point where I go, I think I should ask him to be in our wedding party, but I don't really want to. It was like four and a half months because we had such... A history of just coming and button heads, as brothers do often. By the time we got married, four and a half months later, I wanted him as my best man. Because God had done such a work in his heart to humble him. God had done such a work for me to bring this gospel to him. And, and, and I didn't say him. God put other people in his life that preached the gospel to him. I just stood back and watched God move and just try to be a faithful servant to the Lord. And, and he brought us together in those four and a half months to where I was like, I love my brother. And when we, were, we got back from our honeymoon, there was this precious memory that we had watching our, our video. At the very end, the last person to give kind of a personal message to us, to the video camera, was my brother. And he was saying things like, I love you guys. And the Lord has filled in the gap so much. I'm just excited for what he has in store for our family in the future. He's still walking with the Lord 20-some years later. Hasn't been easy, but boy, yeah. I tell you what, he was like my Paul, you know, like got saved when I never thought he would get saved. Who are those people in your life? 
Are you passionate to have them come to know Jesus? You know, everything that is a gift in your life, whether you're working, whether you have investment in relationships, whether you're a mom, whether you're a sibling or a son, daughter, whatever, parent, you have influence there because God has you on your first missionary journey. And where do you go to give the most powerful message that, hey, you're not preaching at them, you're not thumping the Bible on their head, you're not pointing out this and that just for the sake of, hey, let me point out some sin right now for the sake of that. You're doing this because you love them and you want them to know the freedom in Christ. And if it's not there, if you don't have that, just pray and God will give it to you. God will give it to you. Because this message that they're taking on this journey is not meant for themselves only. In fact, it's not even meant for the club of Jews. Not just meant for the synagogues. It's meant for every tribe, tongue, and nation on this planet that lived 2,000 years ago and lives now. Um, so Barnabas was from Cyprus. <laughs> All right. Got the first point. <laughs> Second point. We already talked about that. I got two points. Good. Okay, so this proconsul, what does that mean? Basically, the Senate in Rome had control of these provinces. When they didn't need a military force there on hand like they did in Palestine or Jew, in, in uh, Judea, for example, in the time of Christ, you know, they were occupied. We read about centurions. We read about, you know, uh, Pontius Pilate, the rest. All these things are there. There's military presence. When they didn't need, feel the need for that, they set up what they're called proconsuls, which basically was like a governor or a senator over that province. And so you had Sergius, who we're reading about this morning, he was in, basically in control of that entire area, that entire region, on behalf and reported straight to the Roman Senate. It's interesting, there's lots of stuff uh, that found archaeological evidence for him, Sergius, uh, to uh, the, the mount of being and carved his inscription on stones on the island of Cyprus, not too far from what we're looking at this morning as Paphos. But you had this Roman rule through this gentleman, Sergius Paulus. And uh, in, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him in a sec. But basically, this whole area was, as you can read up there, was just infamous for its worship of Venus, which was a goddess of sexual love. Um, just studying about all that, we're not going to go totally into it. But basically, you just got to know this. Uh, as an example of the depravity around them on this island that I'm sure Barnabas had a burden for, uh, you could not avoid the temptation, uh, a sexual temptation, and live in this area. It was just ubiquitous. There was to the point where every woman, uh, I heard uh, one commentary, uh, one, one was saying that every woman, at least once in her life, had to commit to be a uh, prostitute uh, in service to Venus, uh, primarily right there in Paphos. So it says they went through the whole island, they ended up there, they're going in the hotbed, of, of outward, just blatant sin. I think that's really important because it says that these guys were not afraid to go into the darkness. They're not afraid to go in the hotbed of blatant, outward debauchery and sin where people were giving themselves over to uh, lusts of the flesh to the point where it was just something you could not avoid. Mandatory prostitution is heavy, but we have that in our culture in a lot of ways as well. So it's really pretty similar to our environment, believe it or not. You, uh, you live in this water. We're all fish. You live in a sexualized, supercharged sexual uh, environment. So did they. But it was all there out in the open. Okay, so let's look at these two guys, Sergius Paulus and Elymas, or Bar-Jesus. 
Um, one, we're just going to juxtapose them. So one's Roman, obviously, Sergius. That's a Latin name. Paulus is surname. And then you have this Julius or Jewish, Elymas. Isn't it interesting? He's Jewish, but it says he's a false prophet. Um, they had John to assist him when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? It says he's a son of Jesus, but was he a son of Jesus? Not at all. Just the opposite. He was actually a false prophet. You had Sergius Paulus, who was a man in authority over the whole province, answering to the Roman Senate, yet he still sought truth from others. It says he called upon them to hear from the word of God. He had heard Barnabas and Saul Word got to him, and he's like, I need to get more information about this, what I'm hearing about. And he sought for him. So that tells me a lot about this gentleman. He was so eager for truth that he didn't just let his position cloud his need for it. And there's another application that's not too difficult to ascertain from that, right? When you feel like you're settled in, that's probably not a good place to be. We all need to be lifelong learners. No matter what our position, if you're the CEO of your own company... Don't quit learning from your employees. That kind of deal. I have a lot of respect for this gentleman because he was in such a prime place just to kick back, put up his feet, order people around, do whatever he wanted, but he heard about this message that was coming in his area and he didn't want to miss out on it. Versus this gentleman who had the truth given to him from, he says he was Jewish, so he's raised obviously in the festivals and the the understanding of the law and in the synagogues. And yet he was so uh, influenced by the enemy, leading him away from the truth of God, that he actually got to the point where, in this case, he's keeping people from hearing the truth of God. I know some things that make God mad, but I, I I can't imagine the anger of the Lord towards somebody who distorts the truth and tries to uh, keep people away from hearing that truth or receiving that truth. And this guy was in that kind of view of the Lord. So much so, that false prophet, the word is there is magos, which is the same as the magi in Matthew 2, means wise or wisdom or uncovering uh, hidden things. I want you to look at a couple passages. Turn your Bible real quick to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22 with me. I want you to get just a sense of what the Lord thinks about these kind of things when you're a magician. If this guy's a false prophet and he's called a magician, Elymas means magician, means he was into sorcery. He was into um, uh, soothsaying or these things that God describes in his word very clearly. I want you to look at a couple of these really quick. 22.18 says, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices any God except to the Lord only, he shall utterly be destroyed, and etc., etc. Turn to Deuteronomy 18. This is really heavy. God is not mincing words here, and you'll see. 18, um, let's see, verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall be or shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or is a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. 
He's very clear. He's like, I do not permit my people to have such influences around them. Why? Because of just this example that they might turn away from the Lord and his truth. So it's not a a small deal that he's called Jewish and referred to by Luke as Jewish and a false prophet. This is hot water. This is the person that should, in a sense, be dead rather than be continued to uh, keep people from the truth. But he's given all this history, all this upbringing, all this blessing in the truth of God, sets it aside, and somehow gives himself over to the point where the enemy is using him to keep people away from Jesus. Sergius Paulus was desiring God's truth, as we said, versus trying to keep it away. Look at the next one. Sergius Paulus believes and repents. It says in the end, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed and he repented basically on what new information came his way, and yet the others judged and does not have record of him repenting. Leads those he cares about to Jesus versus the opposite. Sergius Paulus, there's, there's records I heard of some instances where they found different archaeological evidence to say that not only did he proclaim himself to be a believer after this point, but also his whole family was led to faith as well. So you have this in the, uh, in, the, in the record accounts and these inscriptions bearing his name found on Cyprus itself confirming the, the Christian faith. So not only did he receive the truth, but he passed it on to those closest to him. So you have this multiplication happening versus the opposite. I don't want it. I don't need the truth of God. And I don't really care what you're telling me. And I don't really even care, apparently, that God would strike me in judgment. It's pretty heavy. When your heart's that hard, when you're that deceived, that you can get to the point where you're like, I'm blind, people have to lead me by the hand, and still not giving God your heart. Your knee has not genuflected yet. Some of us need a lot of blindness to come to faith. Some of us need that kind of arm twisting. Hopefully not, though. Apparently, Sergius Paulus was was blessed because he was quick to repent. Elymas, not so much. One more, Paul was filled with the Spirit. Do you catch that? Paul, verse 9. Saul, who is called Paul, Paul's his Roman name, Saul is obviously his Jewish name. King Saul, he would be named after King Saul. But now he's become known as Paul as a Roman citizen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. So you have Paul being led and influenced by the Holy Spirit and Elymas obviously influenced by the opposite spirit, Antichrist spirit. So this, this story in particular, it's pretty heavy. Um, but there's a few lessons for us. In the time we have remaining, I just want to go over some of those. And I, and I think, in really preparing for this morning, um, there's no better time for us, really, to heed the words of this passage, to apply what's in it, because we're such in a time as, as, as ever before, perhaps in the history, especially in our country, of people taking the true revealed word of God and saying, nah, I don't buy that. 
let's look at the spiritual battleground, the lessons herein. Using this example where you have somebody who wants the truth and somebody who resists the truth and tries to block the seeker from hearing the truth. I want to go over a few scriptures. They're going to be on the screen. John 10.10. Let's look at who our adversary is for a second. The thief. The thief does not come except to steal and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that they, sheep, may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. John 8.44. Read with me. You are the father. You are of your father, the devil. This is Jesus talking to those that are in his presence. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. One second, just pause there. Our adversary does not speak truth. Jesus is saying plain here his character is to lie Therefore, we should take this information and apply it to counter lies when they approach, whether environmentally or even in your own head, speaking untruth that goes against the Word of God to you. What are you to do in light of that? One is to identify who's really doing the speaking. He's a father of lies. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil schemes. He's at work. There's action on his part to keep people away from the true word of God. We're in a spiritual battleground. The presence of Bar-Jesus and the actions remind us of that reality. It is not just a leisurely cruise that we have as far as our Christian walk is concerned and the existence of modern-day culture. We are in a battleground. Do you, as a member of that war, whether you're in Christ yet or not, you're still at, you're still hated, hated by the enemy. He wants nothing more than you doubting the Word of God. Nothing more. Why is that so important? It's because where does faith come from? It comes from life-saving faith here. Like you were destined for the wrath of God and the intervention of that wrath or the the solution to that wrath is now being presented to you through the word of God that points to the work of the Son of God on your behalf so that the cross of Christ becomes your remedy for the forgiveness of your sin that you committed. There's an enemy that's out in a spiritual battle trying to keep you from that truth. Not just non-Christian, but Christian. Because, guys, we need the gospel every day. If you don't preach the gospel to yourself as a believer, every day you're going to succumb to the lies of your own doubts, of your own flesh, of uh, certainly the voice of the enemy as he tries to influence you. If you're not a Christian today, you are full-blown at the will of the enemy. He is called the prince of the air, prince of darkness. He is the devil, the adversary. He does not want you to come to faith in Christ. There will be, there is, there has been a spiritual battle over your soul and my soul. Bar-Jesus, in this story, is, is blatant in it. And how does Paul address that? Hey, it's okay. You're cool. Whatever you want. No, he says, 
very strong, strong words. I don't know. My personality is not set up like this. I'm not a truth guy. I don't really enjoy coming head on like this, but I certainly learn from these passages when I see guys like Paul do it. You son of the devil. You enemy of all, and all righteousness, you are full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Guys, if you don't understand that you're in a battle and those who you love are in a battle, and it's a battle of truth versus lie, then you're misleading yourself. And you're setting yourself up for inactivity in prayer. Because if you realize every day you're in a battle, and we're not waging war against the devil, we're not taking up arms and storming his whatever domain like in a movie. We're not talking about that. What it makes you is alert to pray for your own soul, for your own mind to stick to truth and to understand it as opposed to giving in to lies. Do you know things, and let's just make it practical here, gals and guys that starve themselves repeatedly, what's the issue there? There's an issue of seeing themselves not in the image, beautiful image of Christ. Therefore, they're okay and they're whole and they're beautiful, but giving into the lie that they're not beautiful in order to become beautiful or that self-control that's, that's just given, I'm not going to control here according to how God wants me to. I'm going to starve myself so I give into that lie that the enemy is giving me through the culture reinforced that says, I'm not beautiful unless I look like this, that, and the other. It's all lies. It all goes back to the source which is the enemy of your soul, not wanting you to be at peace with God. Here's another lie. You have to be successful and earn so much money in order for people to actually take you seriously or respect respect you. If you're earning minimum wage today, it has nothing to say about your value and importance in God, in Christ, and your potential to change history like these guys did 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter what you're making. God, God will be faithful to meet your needs, but these are subtle Subtle lies that we give into all the time. We don't even question it. Why? Because the father of lies is the one who's in charge of the culture and its direction. Guys, there's a huge debate on whether homosexuality and marriage and homosexuality, y'all yeah, go there because it's important. There's truth of God throughout the scriptures that say that that is wrong in his eyes. But, but we're spending a lot of time listening to the culture that says, no, it's all about love. Well, guys, I understand the love part of it. You can love any. I love my brothers in the Lord. doesn't mean I'm supposed to be engaged in that behavior. It's up to the Lord to say what's true and what's not true. We're going to be succumbing to lies if we're not taking the word of God and applying it to what we hear and is directed to us. And the more you go against God and his word, and Lord, please have the people pray for our leaders. In this case, as elders, We're talking about these issues and we're wrestling with them. And how do we not become offensive for, for, you know, not like saying to everyone, you son of the devil or something like that. That's not necessarily what we're called to do, obviously. But there's a a day and age in which we live that everything about the word of God is going to be questioned. If it's not now, it will be. And if we're just going to go blindly and just go ahead and say, well, bar Jesus is, they're cool, whatever. Not even pay attention to how the word of God is being bombarded in truth. And not being open to the leading of his Holy Spirit and how we engage that culture like Paul and Barnabas did, then we're just, we're just going to be defeated even though we're victorious in Christ. We're just going to have a wake of just blase kind of like, Lord, 
guess culture win. I guess the enemy win. No, he's at war, and he is going to win. And his word stands true forever and ever and ever. And those of us who heed the word of God are going to be blessed in heeding it. Those of us ignoring the word of God and his revealed truth are going to suffer and have brokenness, which is what we want to save as many people from as we can. And guys, I bring up homosexuality because that is one of the key topics of our day. And it's causing more and more people to fall away from the faith than maybe any other at this point. Because people are saying, I can't choose Christ because that means i got to be against homosexuality. And, and it's like, well, I guess I won't go for Christ. Or the Christian saying, um, you know, hey, you can't say love's wrong. I'm not here to talk about homosexuality this morning. Don't hear me wrong. I'm just saying there's a way to engage the culture with love and, 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 and understanding and prayer and going humbly before our, our brothers and sisters in, the, in, the, in, in that community and other communities. Don't, this isn't just about that. But any other lie of the enemy that's saying, did God really say, is important. I'm just using it as an example because it's such a hot topic. It's like, Lord, give us an ability to love our brothers and sisters so much, brothers and sisters of humanity that you died for, to say confidently the word of God is true and it's so awesome that it gives us solutions for our sin. For the times that we say, no, God, I don't believe you. Or the times we say, no, God, I don't believe your word. Or I don't believe what's revealed in it. Guys, I'm afraid that the pressure for church leaders is going to be so there. And it it talks about the end days in the scripture. But do you know there's a constant pressure for every believer, especially leaders in the church? You've got to pray for us. You've got to pray for leaders in the church. Why? Because that's the hot topic. It's like you, you're, you're bigoted if you have any opinion that, that goes along those lines. I, I'm not, I don't have bigotry in me. I just want people to know Jesus and his freedom. And if you have same-sex same sex attraction in this room right now, maybe you're just squirming your seat. I don't mean to make you squirm. I just want you to go back and say that God has help for that, like every other sin. It's just another sin. It's just another sin. Lust is a sin. Heterosexual as much as homosexual. But it's all in the same category. But it's all going to be lies. I don't care if a guy's like, hey, I'm just sleeping around my girlfriend, whatever. Hey, that's his abomination to the Lord just like anything else. Okay, we're all guilty. Amen? We're all guilty, but what's the one solution? Jesus saves the sinner. Don't give in to the bar Jesuses of our culture. Don't give in. What does that mean? Pray for those who are in need of Jesus. It may not be like how Paul addressed it, but at least in prayer we can do that together. I want to just bring this home. Let's look at the original, and I'll I'll probably just close after this with prayer. Look at the original discussion with the enemy. I want to see if you see any similarities with today. Go to the next slide. Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, which, by the way, is an addition. God did not say that. The lady comes up with it, Eve, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. 
Here's the, progress, here's the progression that we're looking at right now. Number one is the enemy will, will cause you to question the word of God. Did God really say? Number one. Number two, twisting it. Adding to it. Um, uh, the, new, was it the New World Translation? Is that right? Jesus was with God, was a God. You know, those little additions, those little subtractions, those little twists, that's, he, he hasn't changed at all. He still does that today. Number three is ultimately he'll end up denying it. You will not surely die. See that progression in that? That's how he works today. He's, he's totally predictable, you guys. So look at that in your life. One, number one, did God really say? Number two, twisting by adding or subtracting just a little bit here and there to serve your purposes. And number three, ultimately, undoubtedly deny God's word. That's the progression. Should we expect anything less in our culture? No. Was it a work here? Absolutely. Bar Jesus had Jewish upbringing, taking the, the, the word of God and twisting it, ultimately for his own means. I had a lot of scriptures on weapons of truth. Let's just go, let's just read together. I want to read this together. So put up that slide. There's a lot of, the word of God is so emphasized in the book of Acts. There's all those references there. It's all about believing the word of God. But let's read Romans 10 off the screen together. Ready? 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Luke eleven twenty eight. But he, Jesus, said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Matthew 7, 24-25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So my, my lesson for us is what is the devil using in your life to keep you away doubting God and his truth? What is he using in your life? It could be outright, right in your face, like Bar-Jesus' message, or it could be very subtle. For, we, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. So you got to think about your thinking, really. And if God goes to such lengths as, a, as, as leading Paul to say, okay, Bar-Jesus, you're not getting it. You're going to be blind. And isn't it interesting, Paul gives this pronouncement upon him that he himself went through. Remember that? The road to Damascus? Paul was blinded in Acts 9, 9. But he repented. And, 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 and God didn't say, well, too late, Saul. It's too late for you. No, he takes his, his humility before God and he turns that around and he ends up impacting the whole world for the gospel. But in this case, blindness didn't even get bar Jesus. At least it doesn't record him repenting here. And I think it would, definitely, if my opinion is if he did repent. You know, if we ignore God's means of grabbing our attention, what do we expect when we face judgment? But, What do we expect when we humble ourselves and simply say, Jesus, let your word penetrate my heart to the point where I believe it and I obey it. 
And, and it may be he's telling you, you know what, you need to forgive that person. And you're resisting it. You feel justified in being bitter, and that's not okay. Maybe it's something of a sin situation where you're just like, you know what, I know the Lord says this is wrong. But I, 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 and I've heard other people speak into my life, and, I, and, and they're good people. They care about me. They're telling me I need to let this go because it's not glorifying God, and you're resisting it. Maybe you just need prayer that, Lord, help my defenses go down. Help me in my unbelief. Help me repent. Maybe you're just so confused on the truth of God, even in regards to the whole issue of homosexuality. I mean, there's lots of discussion to be had. It's not a simple issue. But maybe you're just resistant. Maybe you've made up your mind and your heart's getting hard against God or bitter or you're 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 just, you just don't like that. It's okay as long as you're humble. And you come to God seeking truth. Because He'll lead you there through His Holy Spirit. Amen? So, I say this um, with all the love of my heart. If, if you are not a Christian here, in other words, you haven't given your life to Christ. And what that means is, is taking His cues, how He's worked in your life, to bring Him to this place where you're here right now and you heard this message and maybe you're just... Nobody else even knows this, but you've been resisting him in every area. But you know there's something going on. You're like, you're like Sergius. You're like, I need to hear the word of God. And that's why he came today. Maybe it was just for this time so that you could come to faith in Christ. And I want to give you the opportunity as we pray together in just a second to give your life to Jesus, to trust him. You know, it's a lot easier to trust the one who saved you from drowning than the one who yells at you while you're drowning. You idiot, you can't swim. Who are you going to trust? I want to put my trust in Jesus who's saying, I want to save you. I want to rescue you. I want to give you not wrath, not blindness, not making you so you have to find somebody to lead you by the hand, but I want to give you mercy. I want to give you grace. I want you to live abundantly. God said, I have come to give life in that abundantly. Don't you want that abundant life? I would implore you. And if you're a believer, don't miss out in prayer. We have people over here by the cross to pray with you. And, and discuss. And hey, we're open as, as a group of elders who love this church. We're open to discuss issues. Addictions. Alcoholism. You know, uh, gambling. You name it. We're, we're all prone to those things by, by our flesh. And some of us are caught up in those things. Use the leaders in your, in your community group. Use the elders here to get prayer for those things. And let's not resist the Lord's moving in our lives and ultimately, we'll go to the Cypresses, the place where we love people and want to see them come to Christ and win some for Jesus. Amen? Let's all stand. Now the worship team come up. Don't miss what God's doing in your heart. As we continue to live, we're going we're gonna to need each other more and more. And um, we're going to need each other's prayers more and more. And I think we're in a, in a time where Word of God sometimes puts you in uncomfortable positions because standing up of, of, for His truth anyways, or is being, there's more and more cost to it, I guess. And, and people in other cultures, other communities... Around the world know what that means so much more than we do as Americans, especially on the Central Coast. And 
Yeah, it's good for the church because we, we get refined in those things. And, and yet we don't want to have, like, we have the monopoly on truth and so everybody else is a bum, idiot. That's not the heart that God wants us to have. It's humility before people that need him. Love for our community. Love for people that don't agree with us. All Christians don't agree on everything. And that's okay. We're in grace. We get, but as long as we're humble about it, amen? As long as we talk. As long as we're good about how we treat each other while we dialogue. How we pray through things together is the important thing. So let's pray for those hearts now. Ask God yourself. I'm just going to, just maybe the worship team can just play a little instrumental. Let's just pray. And maybe just ask God, God, what are the, what, what's something I'm missing? Am I being influenced by the enemy and don't even realize it? Do I have blindness, blind spots in my walk with you? And if you're not a believer, if you're, if you're wanting to have a relationship with Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. It's simple as humility. What does humility look like before God? It's really the gift of prayer where he says, just come to me. And, and we do that through prayer. And we simply say, God, I've been resisting you but I don't want to anymore because I know you and you alone have the words of eternal life. And if that's you, I, I, I encourage you to get prayer at the cross. Tell somebody, if you've identified something of a stronghold in your heart, if you know the enemy's been at work and you've been giving into it, go get prayer. This is, this is a hospital right now. And if you don't get prayer, that's, that's like not taking medicine the doctor gives you to heal. So, so I encourage you to get prayer. There's communion in the back. And just thank Jesus for the sacrifice he made so that we can be made clean. Oh, blessed is a man whose sin is forgiven. So let's celebrate that and uh, together as we, as we worship. So Lord, I, I, just, I just love you. And I thank you that there's love here in this place. And God, I just pray that you will um, take what I've said and, and just do what you want with it. I pray that we would be quick to respond to your Holy Spirit leading us that we wouldn't be giving in the lies. Lord, we've been given revelation that there is a deceiver. He's not happy about us coming to truth. So I pray that you would free people, even right now, to get prayer for strongholds in their life, to get prayer to conquer the lies of the enemy, to get prayer to simply set themselves up, to hear the truth, the word of God, and like Sergius, Paulus, that we would seek out the word of God for our truth. Lord, there are just so many things we can lift up to you. We're all in need, God. We're all in the hospital as patients right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to obey you even as we worship. Love you, Jesus.